All right, Davy Love and Laura Merrill in the house, broadcasting <laughs> from Royal Fox Studio 415. How Ave, where? In Shelton, Connecticut. That's right. Tonight we got a big show. Who do we got? Reggie. That's right. My man, Reggie Bullock, filmmaker, sought out public speaker. He was my history teacher. Amazing. This guy is a legend. He has his own podcast, Reggie, Ruthie, Rev. He does all the voices. It's fucking amazing. Amazing. And his documentaries are amazing as well. We're going to hear all about that. Uh, shout out to all our sponsors. Check them out on modprovshow.com. Yep, yep. And uh, yeah, we're going to call Reggie in a second. Hello there. Hello. Who is this? Can we speak to uh, Mr. Reggie Bullock, please? Uh, Reggie is on the toilet right now, <laughs> but uh, this is the Rev. Oh. Uh, are you la- wait, wait, hold on. Are you laughing at the fact that my nephew's on the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you ever had to use a toilet in a case of emergencies? But listen, he don't, uh-oh, he hears me, but listen. Ask me any question you want. I'm going to take over the interview until he get right. First of all, what the hell is your name? You could be the FBI. What is your name? Who are you? My name is uh, Davey Love, and I got my co-host. Look, wait a minute. Hold on, goddammit. Davey Crockett, I've been looking for you. (laughs) Let me tell you something. You think it's fair for you to walk around cutting animal asses off and putting it on your head for a cap? Introduce wait you to minute, hold on, hold on, hold All right, on. all right, all right. Wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. Yeah, he in there groaning. He in there groaning. We got about another minute. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Ask me any question you want. Go let, ahead, David. Let Crockett. me introduce you to my co-host Laura Merrill. Hi. Oh, the beautiful Laura Merrill. I you know what, Laura? Let me tell you something. <laughs> if you ever want to get a man to get his eyes a flutter, because you know women, you want a man's eyes to flutter. Put a cup of baking soda and some some talcum powder on your neck. <laughs> that way, when he leans in and gives you a kiss, his eyes gonna flutter, baby. His eyes gonna flutter. It's gonna give you a feeling you ain't never had before. Oh, <laughs> listen, I gotta get it ready to go because I gotta make what they call that thing. Tick, tick, rock. What do they call that? Tick. What do they call it? Tick, rock, video. What do they, what they call it? David? TikTok. No, I, see, y'all trying to correct me. <laughs> I don't care. Look, see, you young people, you're smart. I don't care if it's a TikTok video. Bottom line is, I got to make one. Reggie, right here. All right. See, I'm sorry. Dave, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. Reggie, you are phone. the man. No, they got on the phone. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really apologize. It's all Ruthie, good. Ruthie's sitting here. Ruthie wants to say something later. But okay. She got a song. That she thinks you're Davy Crockett. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. Because Rev told her that. Yeah. <laughs> How you guys doing? Good, man. How good, are you? Good. I'm doing good. Doing good. Sitting here by myself with two characters running off in my head. <laughs> 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 I 
Amazing. I, I pray my mother never hears this interview. <laughs> she said, my son is sick or either drunk. Any any of our interviews that we've done, Reggie, right? Oh, it's so much fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I just want to say to, to Laura and to everybody else this first time they're hearing me do this interview with you guys, that anytime I'm talking to you, this is like family. So it's not a regular interview of how I've done millions of interviews. It's not the same thing because you are family. So you can pretty much ask me anything. I won't answer, but <laughs> pretty much ask me anything in the world. And it's, it's a hundred percent because you're a family. I've known you since you what? 14. Yeah. 14. Oh no, yeah. since you're like 14 years old. So yeah. it's, we've gone a long way. And I was what? I was what? 15? Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. Like 15. Yeah, you were yeah, you were a little I was yeah. like a 15 year old teacher. You were a 15 year old teacher. You had you had one of those like, you know, 10 year old kid mustaches right, back skipped. then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Like rocking that you had El DeBarge on your upper lip. I was a, I was a prodigy that got skipped a hundred times, so I was about 15 years old. But, oh, um, man. I love doing these interviews because it's not really an interview, it's just it's just having fun. Oh yeah, so, that's right. what this show's all about, man. All yeah. about it's what you yes, make it. Absolutely. Laura actually I know has a burning question for you before we go deep because we were talking about this and I think this is amazing if she drops this right now. Well, we okay. recently became friends on Facebook and I saw in our mutual friends list that you know Curtis Tinnen. Yes, yes, Kurt, yeah. Yeah, so Curtis was my basketball coach in high school. You're kidding. And wow. he, he has been, like, in high school, he was such a mentor to me. Like, he wow. he, he fed me, took me in, and, like, you know, kind of uh, gave me a job when I needed it, watching his daughter and stuff like that. So he wow. he's probably, he would call himself, he's like a second dad to me. So, um so I was like, oh, I wonder how that's that connection. So how do, how do you know mm -hmm. Kurt? I told Jesus. her, by the way, Reggie, really fast. I told uh -huh. her, I said, you know, I, this has got to be someone really close to Reggie because he seems like the same way Reggie was for right. me in high school, you know? Wow. Yeah. This is really frightening because <laughs> let me tell you why. Because I, I, call, I, call, I call myself the mayor of, of Connecticut. The reason why is because... I taught at St. Thomas More School. Right. I, well, I call it teaching. <laughs> now when I look back, I'm like, no, you were, you were really an entertainer that knew a little bit about it. <laughs> you oh, no, you taught, you taught amazing. But, but, then, but then, thank you. Then I went on to, to work at North Free Academy. So I did nine years there, 10 years at the other one. And then during the summertime, I worked at Eastern Connecticut University. I did that for about 12 years. So I had different students from all over the state, along with when I attended Eastern, I knew a lot of different students from all over the state that I became friends with, that, you know, some of them have, have got political positions in Connecticut and stuff like that. So I just know everybody from all over the state of Connecticut. You name a city, I can name a person or a student there. With Curtis, the funny thing is we weren't tight friends, but what's interesting is when we get into the uh, – to the story of the, the documentary I'm doing now on Michael Sledge. Uh, one of Michael Sledge's best friends that helped him and mentored him is Jimmy Fields. Jimmy Fields was a good friend of mine. He's from Stanford. He was a good friend of mine at Eastern. And Jimmy Fields brought me down to hang out at Stanford with him when we were teens. And his best friend was Curtis. Oh. And, so, and so what's funny is there was a picture. Wow. Jimmy swears he's got a picture of me, Curtis, and Jimmy 
at a Stanford High football game. He said, I got to find this thing. He said, you got the afro on. You got these dark glasses on. Like, oh, my God. With the glasses on. Yeah, I probably was. And me and Curtis <laughs> were laughing in the video, in the, in the picture. And I remember, the only thing I remember about Curtis, and, like, we don't know each other like that, but we, we're friends enough to know we, who each other are. Right. And what's funny, the funniest thing is, I, the memory I have of him the most, he might not remember this, Jimmy does, is that we came back from Stanford. As we were, you got to realize, we were 17, 18 years old. Uh-huh. And we're driving back in the car, going back to Willamette and going to Eastern. And we're having an old-fashioned roasting session where we are snapping on each other the whole ride. <laughs> and then, yeah. ah, you look like Ray Charles with them goddamn glasses on. Ah, you look like Ray Charles' mother. Ah, you look like... And you can't picture that from Curtis because now he's... He's an adult and he's a role model, and people can't picture that from me. Well, actually, they can because I've gotten worse as time is going. <laughs> but, but, um, but the three of us were literally taking turns, making fun of each other for like an hour and a half straight, and we did not stop. We did not stop. Oh, there's your mother on the side of the highway picking up garbage. Ah, oh, your mother got a rest <laughs> going nonstop. And that is my memory of Curtis more than anything. Now, I know he's going to do great things. They won the state championship a couple of years ago yeah, and stuff like that. And I'm so proud of him and his journey. I'm proud of Jimmy. Jimmy's now retired. It's just so funny that um, that that's my that my fondest memory of him. But he was a really a, what I do remember is a nice guy. And what's funny about you saying this is that I have another friend of a friend that I've never met in my life, but she's related to like not related. She's um, she knows all of my relatives in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. What's funny about her was she asked me one day, hey, how do you know Curtis? I said, and I, I couldn't go into the story that I'm saying now, but right. she, what she ended up saying was that, you know, he's the nicest guy in the world. I said, you know, I got a story to tell you about, <laughs> 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 about how we made, we literally, it was the funniest. It was one of my greatest memories is that we just made fun of each other the whole rest. I, I want to have straight. Nobody. Oh, yeah. I could, I could see that from Kurt. Yeah. A hundred percent. He, he, he was a crazy basketball coach. He was hard on us. Like he was not nice. He was not nice. And I did not like him when I first met him. I was like, he's like this asshole. And he, yeah, he he was so mean. He was like, so he make us do like suicides and like, oh, like I can't uh, picture Curtis. He once the the craziest story is I was a little bit slutty in high school. <laughs> and and um so I had this boyfriend who would give me hickeys all over my neck. And there was there must have been like 12 hickeys all over my neck and Kurt made us do extra suicides for every single hickey I had on my neck. He was like that's nasty girl. He was like you nasty. He was like going to do he's like and he sat there and made me pull my hair like back and like count every hickey and he was like all right we're all doing it everyone hated me and i was like damn it you see there and, and, and don't let the ref hear that because the ref's going to tell you about the talcum powder blocked up the hickeys and you'd have been all right that's amazing but it, but you know what it goes to show me the older i get this is really truly truly a small world yes it really is and i don't know if you guys had a chance to see they had a um I think it wasn't a documentary. It was a little piece. I think sixty minutes did uh, years ago about the whole the whole six degrees of separation, where they could they could trace somebody from a village in Africa and connect them to you guys. Yeah. Do six degrees through six people, and I'm like, it's impossible. They showed scientifically how this could really take place, and it's true. It's absolutely true. We are all, and that's that's the sad part about 
race, racism, how we fight each other right. is because we really are separated by six people. Mm. Yeah. Think about it. somebody in Russia that's sitting there, somebody in Zimbabwe that you're separated by six people, you know, and, and that's what's amazing about this whole thing. Wow. But the Curtis thing, as soon as you said him, that's the last <laughs> one because the last thing I think of is a 17-year-old up in the car with me talking about, yeah, why does your mother... <laughs> <laughs> hey, Reggie, if we're all really truly separated by six degrees, then how many people are separated between us and the mad shitter? <laughs> <laughs> See, you know what? Don't start. <laughs> Please don't start. <laughs> He was mad. He was mad. Let that man rest. I will. I'll let him rest. Let that man rest. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? There's so many people listening to this right now. Well, they're going to listen to it. Oh, yeah. They're going to listen to it. But but they're going to be like, oh, I thought this was going to be so serious about the documentaries. They're <laughs> 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 talking about mad shit. What's going on? <laughs> and there was the old man on there talking about talcum powder at the beginning. What is this? Yeah, talcum powder <laughs> and bacon he soda. Was so deep. He was <laughs> so deep. Eyes. But listen, I want to make a public service announcement to those people who are going to hear this tomorrow or today, whenever you guys. Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay, good. I got enough time to. to, to, to I just want to say this is that please understand the best compliment I ever had was a friend of mine told me today and he's going to hear this. And I thank him for saying this. He said, you have the courage to live your life the way you want to. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, look, you're doing the documentaries. And he said, that's some deep shit. And then he goes, but then you're doing this comedy shit that he said, so many people are afraid to do. It. I said, I was afraid. Right. And he said, mm-hmm. And, but then he said, but your shit's not that funny. I said, I know. <laughs> I said, I know. It's not, it really isn't that funny. But it said, is funny. I'm, it's I'm funny. not going. No, I know. I know. But I'm yeah. saying it. Sorry. But, but the thing is, is that I'm not going to live another day of my life not wanting to do what I want to do. Right. right. Whether it makes it. And you and I have talked about this privately on the phone. Whether it makes it or not, that's not the point. Because the bottom line is Lawrence Welk did what he wanted to do and he's dead. Right. (laughs) And so (laughs) some of the most famous, I hate to say it like that, some of the most famous people, they did what they wanted, but they're gone. Right. And so your time is limited. It has nothing to do with how many viewers, how many likes. It has nothing to do with that. And that's why I'm proud of what you guys are doing right now because you're living an element of your life. You may change your mind next week or tomorrow and do something else, and that's fine. But the bottom line is you guys are doing right now. You're in that moment of doing exactly what you want to do. And to me, it's as big as Oprah. It's as big as anything else. Right. Because it's your world, it's your mind, it's your moment. That's so right. Anyway. That's right. Yeah. Man. That's right. You yeah. always follow, so follow I'm, your So dream. listen, so listen. I'm saying all that. <laughs> Just say this. Just say that. So when people hear this Wednesday, they'll go, oh, he has got some sense. This does make sense. Why is that jackass? <laughs> <laughs> so this makes complete sense. Okay, now you can now you can be a jackass for the rest of the interview. <laughs> so, so no, the so now you've been working on the Greatness Five, like which is amazing. Yes. The first series that you did. Now this is the second scene series, right? That you're working on now. Yes, yeah, second season right now. Second season the, right now. The first season was based on as a former history teacher and a history buff. I was frustrated with the way some of the images of African Americans were portrayed. 
Right. And so I said, if I could tell another side to the story, not to sway people, but just say, hey, do you know that this was going on? So as as nutty as some of the stuff that the Panthers did, I said, but you need to know that John Lennon and and Jane Fonda and people like that were supporting them. Not to say something's right or wrong, but you need to know this side of history. Right. So so I started doing that with several people. But then for the second season, actually, let me take this back. There was a woman from Chicago. I'm going to shout her out. She might be listening. This Carmen said to me, I'm tired. Of, <laughs> I don't want to go into Ruthie's voice. But she said, I'm tired of hearing about all of these. Everybody knows about Malcolm X. I said, no, everybody doesn't know about Malcolm X. I said, no. I said, what about regular people that are alive? And so I started thinking about it. What about doing stories, regular stories about people that were alive? Mm. And so I said, okay, I'm going to grab some regular characters, regular people. Like yourself. I want to grab regular people that have overcome things and tell their story. But here's the trick with all of this. Because some people say, well, that's what's 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 the pizzazz about t- telling Davy Love's story or about telling Michael Sledge's story? The pizzazz is I watched the, the uh, Ken Burns documentary on um, on Muhammad Ali. And it was, it was an eight-hour documentary. And before it started, I know everything about Muhammad Ali's background. If Ali were alive, I would beat him in a trivia contest about himself. <laughs> I, I really would. I would be, oh, what did I have for shit this morning? I, yeah, yeah, you shit green peas and, and apple juice. You know that. God damn it, how you know that? Because I know everything about you. I would beat his wife, his children, everything in a trivia contest about Muhammad Ali. So I said to myself, and I respect Ken Burns is the greatest documentarian. He could do a documentary about your shoe, your left shoe, and and really go into it. He gets the the announcer's voice. Well, it's in Davy Love's left shoe. (laughs) Monday night. It didn't move. And you know why it didn't move? Is because in 1894, all left shoes did not move from the position of this position. And then he would go into the history of all left shoes. And then he would say, but what about the right shoe? Ah, you know, 50,000 presidents had were stepped with their right shoe first when they walked into a room. And he told a story that was incredible. So I said, okay, let me see if he could do this with Ali. I said, I love Ken Burns, but he can't do it with Ali. Right. And he did. And he starts off with, I know Muhammad Ali's story starts off with his bicycle was stolen. And when he was 12 years old and he's crying and he walks to the police officer and the police, he says, I want to beat up the guy who took my bike. And the police officer says, well, do you know how to fight? And he goes, no, I don't. I don't know how to fight, but we'll come to the boxing thing. And that's where the story starts. But see, Ken Burns took it further. He told the story behind the story behind the story. So what he did was he told the story of Muhammad Ali's father, who I knew was a painter, but he went into it. He used to drink. He used to do this. He used to do that. So then he went into the story of the mother. She wasn't just a homemaker. He went into what she did. Then he went into racism in as far as covering Louisville in the 60s. Right. So by the time he got to the bicycle thing, I felt I knew the 12-year-old Muhammad Ali better than I've known my entire life. Wow. I said, oh, wow. So that's what I picked up. And I said, you know, if you could tell that story with any human being that walks this earth, if you can do that, it's a fascinating story. Mm, right. You're right. It's fascinating. Every human being has a story. Yes. Every, I don't care who it is, rich or poor. And somebody said to me, he said, were well, you going to be doing stories on rich people? I said, yeah. 
I said, because you cannot go from point A to point A is birth to point Z is death. You cannot go from A to Z without suffering. You right. can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible. I don't care how wealthy you are. You have suffered at some point. Right. You have suffered. So if you can share that suffering, that moment of doubt, that moment of what is death like, if you can share that with people and people can see this library of not only famous people who have done things, but people who are just regular people like you and myself who who aren't famous mm. but have overcome situations, I think it can help people. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us. I want to do the story of both of you guys. But anyway, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Thank you. We're honored. I really do. I really do. (laughs) Laura's got a really good story. Mine, mine you know very well. (laughs) Right. Well, that way I get to be on your show every other week. (laughs) So, what are you doing this week? I'm doing the Laura Merrill story. (laughs) What are you doing? I'm doing the David Love story. Oh, great. What are you doing? I'm doing half the city. I'm doing the Curtis Tennant story. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing all these stories. So tell yeah. us about the uh, Michael Sledge story. Oof. This is this is like a gold mine. I almost because by the way, I Googled lose. him and it came wow. up. It was hard to find anything about him being the mixed martial artist. It really. What came up first was like his uh, charity work and his foundation. Right. That's right. what came up first when you Google it. So I was like, and that, wow. Believe, believe it or not, that's the that's the central focus of the film is how he's going from this to that to this to that to the. But one of one of the contentions of the film, or one of one of his contentions, is that a lot of African American uh, martial art, uh, great martial artists, experts. They have not been put in the limelight. Right. And so I started doing my own research and I found out, wow, this is kind of true. So I started asking him these questions and I found out. But let me let me back up here. I've known Michael. Michael, matter of fact, Michael knows Curtis. Oh, shit. Oh, stop Michael it. Knows <laughs> he, 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 Six degrees. Honest, he probably knows he probably knows Curtis better than I do. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he probably knows Curtis because their one friend, Jimmy Fields. He probably knows Curtis better than I do. Oh, my gosh. I guarantee you. I guarantee you knows. But anyway, um, Michael, um, he was, I met him at Eastern. He was from Harlem. I was from the Bronx. And so everybody used to call him City back in the day. I refused to call him City because I'm from the Bronx. I'm from New York City. Why are you guys calling him City? I'm not going <laughs> to You know, that's right. somebody from where, where are you from, Dave? What's it? What, um. I was originally from Atlanta, you? but Fairfield. You're from Atlanta? Like, yeah. I'm, you're from Fairfield. That's yeah. like kids from Fairfield. Everybody from one place calling you, hey, Fairfield, what's up, Fairfield? Yeah. <laughs> right. It wouldn't make sense. So I, I refuse to call him City. Yeah. But Mike was um, Mike was a seventh-degree black belt at that time, but we didn't know it because the way he carried himself was so different. From uh, He acted like a regular I almost want to say this, Mike. Please forgive me. I don't want you karate chopping me in the neck. <laughs> but Mike, but no, Mike carried himself like a regular New Yorker. You know, I'm going to tell you what's on my mind, and but that did not coincide with how my view of what karate was. Karate was something you learn as a self defense, and it was something that when you learn this, you have this inner peace because you know you could beat up anybody, so you don't. But no, Mike walked around not aggressive, but like. 
if he didn't like something, he was going to say it. So it never, it never, I was like, does he really know karate? Does he really, really know this? <laughs> and then, so I started looking at magazines and he was there. Oh, and shit. And then, so I started asking people, yeah, I started asking people behind his back. I said, yeah, hey, what's up? Does Mike really know this stuff? And they're like, oh, no, City knows this, City's this, City's that. And then I did more research and more research. And then finally, we reconnected through the Sledge Foundation, which is an amazing foundation. But um, I reconnected with him. I said, Mike, I'd like to do your story, but I really want to go into the karate thing. And I could tell he really doesn't really care about that. He really doesn't care about that. But what he does care about that he was passionate about was he said the history of all of my teachers and the masters of martial arts, it has really been hidden. And I said, do you think it's a racial thing? He said, oh, absolutely. He said, no, this thing has been hidden. He said, a lot of your top black martial artists, he said, they never got credit because on the screen, they were always showing Asians and whites on the screen as far as the karate heroes. And that's what most people around the globe, particularly Americans, believe that whatever you put in front of them over and over again. So I asked him, so I said, so what do you think about Bruce Lee? He said, he's very good. I said, you think you beat him? He said, absolutely. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> he said, no, you got to realize how we were taught. And the way they were taught in karate in Harlem is different from the way you taught karate in Fairfield. Right. And I say that because my son, we lived in an area like Fairfield. And, you know, it was suburban and it was very little crime. And and so I, I took my son to karate lessons. And I remember Bill Taylor was his name. He was in the Pan Am Games at one point. And Bill Taylor told these kids at the end of every session, he would say to all the kids, okay, what do we do? Because he had a southern accent. (laughs) So what do we do, kids? They said, we do not use karate to aggressively hurt anyone. Okay, and if a dog is chasing you, what do you do? They said, we jump on a car and we don't kick the dog. If there are 10 kids chasing you, what do you do? You run, you run, you run. Okay, but if you're cornered, <laughs> but if you're cornered against the wall and you have nowhere to go, what do you do? We fight. He did this every single lesson. Wow. And that, to me, that made sense. Yeah. Right. I was talking to Mike. Mike said, "Oh no, 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 we're not taught that normal." I said, "What do you mean? We're taught to never take a step backwards." Mm. Oh. And so I said, "Wow, I said, that's, it's still in my mind. It doesn't register." It's not making sense. I'm like, what kind of karate y'all like? This is like the <laughs> karate movies where they always have aggressive guys. Ah, yeah. You don't know how to fight. We come in and kick everybody's ass. Where's your master at? We're going to kick his ass. I'm like, it sounds like that to me. You stole my piece so, of chicken. Right. <laughs> like, you stole some shit from me. Yeah. I'm going to kick his ass. So <laughs> what I did was I um I did some research and I found one of his earlier teachers did a YouTube video. I'm not going to name it because I don't want anybody to steal my thunder from what I'm going to put in the film. <laughs> I found a YouTube video of this old black karate master in Harlem. And he's looking at these kids and he's aggressively yelling at them. And at first I said, oh, this guy's crazy. But then what I heard come out of his mouth made 100% sense. He said like this. He said, look, I'm teaching you survival. We're not learning self-defense. We're learning survival mm. because when you leave this, when you leave this studio, you could be jumped, raped, beaten, shot. Right. You need to know how to fight. None of this self. I'm gonna learn how to block and learn to cut. No, you need to learn how to use this. 
Right. So they have them training at an early age how to fight. Wow. So one of the things that Mike taught me in, in our phone conversation over the last two months, he said, hey, look, he said, you know, Stephen Scott, they could do all this stuff on TV. And he said, but can you do that on Third Avenue? Can you fight four guys that's coming at you on Third Avenue? Right. He said, Cause that's what we were taught. Right. We were taught to fight. We weren't taught it looks cute and, and you could block a couple of punches and, ooh, look at this move. And he said there's a lot of black belts around the country that have learned that. He's yeah. a ninth degree black belt. Ninth degree. There's no such thing as that. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's insane. That's like, you know how people say, I, I give 110%. There's no such thing as 110%. It stops at 100. Right. Right. Well, Mike is 110%. <laughs> he really is. He's that good. Wow. But what but you're, think, well, like what you're talking about is almost like the whole Van Damme thing. Everyone thought he was badass exactly. till he went in that bar in the city and then Chuck Zito knocked him out. Right. Like there was just right. one punch right. just knocked his right. ass out when he exactly. tried to show off, you know. Exactly. So, I mean, you get things like that that happen. Um, but his main goal, the main goal of his life is if you study, and I think I sent you that piece earlier, he was a premature baby in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Premature babies in the 50s don't survive. No. They don't survive. So he survived that. And how a premature baby out of the 50s, if they do survive, there's something wrong with them. Yeah. If, if, if he, he survived that. And then goes on to become one of the fastest guys in the world at karate. You know, one of the other interesting stories, I don't know how I'm going to tell this because we don't have the footage. But he said, Reggie, I'm 17 years old. And they picked me to go to the Pan Am Games to fight in Venezuela. And he says, and when I'm there, he said, it's a stadium filled with people. And the president of the country shuts the country down. He said, I'm 17 years old from Harlem. I've never been out of Harlem. I'm in this other country where they shut down. Everybody's, ah, and the whole place is going crazy. Wow. And then I just asked him, and that's enough. That's a story in itself. So I just casually asked him the other day. I said, so Mike, with that story, so what happened? He said, oh, I won. <laughs> <laughs> but see, he doesn't care about that. Right. He doesn't care. So I asked him, I said, hey, you got any pictures of your, like, awards? He said, yeah, I'll send you a picture, but you're not going to believe it. I said, what do you mean? He sent a picture. I said, what is this? It's a picture. It's, it's so much gold and trophies on a wall. I'm like, it's it's confusing. I said, what is this? He said, those are all of, those are half of my trophies. And it covers a wall where you cannot see any of the paint on the wall. It's nothing but trophy after trophy after trophy. Oh, wow. wow. And so, but but the, I think the most interesting story for me personally, because I went through this in the Bronx, is that because he was a premature baby, he was always smaller than everybody else. And they picked on him and they beat him every day wow. when he was a child going from his apartment building to school. And I asked him, and one thing about Mike, he is not a liar. He's too truthful. And I asked him, I said, Mike, so what, what was it like? He said, Reggie, they beat my ass. He said, I have blood on my shirt. I was six and seven years old. Blood. Wow. wow. He said, this wasn't normal. You know, when you talk about bullying in, in suburban areas and areas in other areas, you're talking about somebody, give me your cake. Give me, give me a little piece of your cake. All right. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're talking about, I don't have cake for you to take. I know. I'm just going to beat this shit out of you just because I want to do this every day. Ugh. Every day. He said it was like terrorism. Yeah. He said every day I went through that. He said, then are you going to the house? You can't tell your mother. 
You can't tell your father because if you tell them, they may snap and go in. And then you're known as a snitch. You can't tell anybody at school. So you're six, seven, eight, nine years old, getting your ass beat every single day mm. until his mother told him, fight back, go back, get your hat, get your bike, whatever they took him, go get it. So he goes, gets it. He's not afraid to fight. He fights back. He wins the fight against the other little kid who was bothering him every day. And you know what happens? You know what his consolation prize was? His consolation prize was the brothers and sisters, all older of the kid that he beat up, they then started beating his ass every day. Oh, you beat my little brother's ass? We're going to beat your ass every day. Every day he went through this. Until (laughs) (laughs) he started taking karate. And uh, at that point, when he started taking karate, he said to me, I'll never forget how he said it. I don't know if we're going to put this on the phone, but he said, I said, so what happened when you started learning? He said, I beat the shit out of all of them. <laughs> what? He said, no, nah, I did. He said it like with joy. Like, no, I mean, you know, Mike is 65. He said, no, nah, I, I, I got him. <laughs> he said, and then when I started coming to the projects with these trophies every day, Slowly but surely, people would look at these gigantic trophies. These are, these are trophies. I can't even hold them so small. I can't even hold them. And they would look at them like, yo, man, how you get that? How you, oh, and they would see at the top of the trophy. You know, if it's a basketball trophy, you see the basketball player. Right. Now you see a karate guy kicking. And then he started being known as Karate Mike. And the rest is history. started traveling all over the world. But he never, while he was at Eastern, for the couple of years we were there together, never talked about his crime. Never. Wow. Never, ever talked about it. And I do know one other good friend from Stanford who's very good friends with Curtis Tennant. Very good friends with <laughs> Curtis. Curtis is our, he's our go-to guy on yeah. this whole show. I'm going I'm, I'm to I'm text him on this. But, um, <laughs> another friend, Nate Mays, who is as athletic he's been let Nate Mays has been lifting weights since he was I don't know he was probably 16 he was lifting weights by the time he got to Eastern he was huge at when he was tw- and he was one of them super seniors he was like 30 years old pretending to be <laughs> I apologize Nate if you hit us <laughs> 30 years old pretending to be a regular senior but anyway Nate was huge he was huge and so I asked Nate recently, I said, hey, didn't you spar with Mike back at Easton? He said, he's the fastest thing I've ever seen in my life. I said, what do you mean? Yeah. He said, he slapped me like four times before I could get my hands in position. Mm-hmm. And Nate professionally, not professionally, but amateur, was an amateur boxer. Wow. And so he said, I'd never seen anything that fast. And Mike wasn't a big guy. Mike was a little small guy, but his hands were so fast. Wow. So that's the story we're going to tell. The angle is the bullying. But the biggest thing is, probably out of all of this, which is what you found on the internet, the biggest factor we're going to touch upon is his love for kids that don't have any hope, any chance, any shot in life. Him and his wife, that is what they're doing. They're retired. They live well but they still come back to New York City in Harlem to help the kids who don't have mothers, fathers, uh, going through abuse, yeah. going through the, the pregnant girl that's in school. They really, and they and he should be retired, relaxing. No, he feels that's his duty because he never forgot the little boy that got beat up. Wow. He never yeah. forgot that person, you know? And when he describes it, it's it's, it's, it's horrifying. It, it could, I don't want to talk about it too much. It's going to start making me cry because he said, I said, Mike, what made you want to take karate? And the way he described, he said, yeah, they, they were kicking my ass every day. I said, what do you mean? It happened to all of us. He said, 
got bloodied. He said, you don't know what it is to be six years old and come home with blood in your shirt. And your mother said, hey, why you, what is that on your shirt? And you're trying to lie to your mother because if you tell her she's going to snap, she's going to snap, go curse kids out, whatever's going to happen. But that's not going to protect him because he still has to walk to school every day. There's yeah. no protection. Right. And, and what's interesting, what, what, what hit me as a kid is because I grew up in that environment, same thing happened to me. Same thing happened. And I started talking to other um, I haven't talked to anybody white yet on this, and I'm sure the same thing happened to them. But the same thing happened to me. The same thing happened to many of my other male black friends that lived in those environments. I started asking them. I said, hey, did that happen? And they went into a place of darkness that they said, no, there's nobody you could tell. He said, it's like getting raped every day, but you can't tell anybody. Right. If you tell the, school, if you tell the teachers, teachers are going to say, don't do that anymore. And then you know there's a snitch and everybody's going to beat you. Everybody's right. going to be jazz. Cool. You can't tell your mother and father because they're going to snap and you know the snitch. So you just got to take that ass whooping every day, right. every single day for years until you, you either learn karate or you snap, pick up a gun, or you do like I did. I had a – and I'm telling you, Mike has been therapy for me because I know I have this other side to me. Mm. I've got this other side to me even now after brain surgery. <laughs> Can mm. you imagine – in 60s at the brain surgery, I still got in my mind, no, don't F with me. Right. I still have that in my I'm like, yeah. why? Right. You should be retired, relaxed. You should be relaxing on an island with margaritas. And if somebody messes with you, go, oh, okay, young fella, go ahead. Uh, let me just move on. <laughs> no, in my mind, like, who do you think? I still got the Robert De Niro thing. Who do you think you're talking to? Right. And right. then from, if you get pushed and pushed and pushed for so long. You develop this mentality, becomes hardcore, and it never goes away. And Mike, just talking to him, I said, hey, and he says that's what he's trying to get to the young kids, is that no, you can cry. I, I remember the first, listen to this one. I mean, the first time I got jumped, three guys jumped me. I was about 14 years old. I'm walking to school. I refused to wear my glasses because they were nerdy looking glasses. And my mother said, where are your glasses, boy? I'm like, no, mom, I'm not wearing nerdy. And she's like, if I don't see you, I paid a hundred dollars for those glasses. I don't see you with those glasses on. I'm going to whoop your ass. So I'm like, okay, let me wear the glasses. As soon as I left my house and walk into school, I would take the glasses off as soon as I got around the corner. So, <laughs> so I take the glasses off. And there's three guys across the street and they were in front of a church that I was familiar with. And this church was, um, it was a, what we call the day camp back in the day. You know, your parents would send you from like nine in the morning until four, four in the afternoon. They picked oh, you up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Day, yeah. day camp. So anyway, but we never went anywhere. It was day camp. But anyway, so these three guys, and I knew not to do this. I was old enough not to do this, but because it was still in front of the church, I just let my guard down. They say, hey, "Yo, yo, yo, come here, come here, come here, man, come here, come here." And when I got halfway across the street. I had a backpack on my back, and I said, oh, shit, I don't know these guys. And I know what that means. If you don't know some, somebody, and they're calling you over, you're going to get your ass kicked. You're about to get jumped. Right, right. right. So I followed. I said, well, maybe I can talk my way out of this. And I walked up close enough, and one of them showed me this ring. He said, you know what this ring means? I knew what the ring meant, but I didn't want to offend him. I said, I don't really know. Next thing I know, my, you, know, you got to realize, I'm 14 years old, 5'10". Uh, maybe a hundred and I don't know, 20, 30 pounds. Right. And these, these guys were like 19, 18, 18, big, fully developed guys. This guy punched me in my face. I don't know. I didn't even know it was coming. Mm. 
Oh, shit. Now, just to show you the mindset of how I was and how I was raised, my head snapped back like a <laughs> like a pet candy dispenser and, went, <laughs> and popped back into position. I refused to fall because I knew that showed weakness. I refused to cry because I know that showed weakness. And I refused to beg, hey, what are you doing? I refused to do any of those three things because I saw other people do it. And then everybody would make fun of that person. Look at him. He got his ass beaten. He was crying. Look at him. He was begging for them to stop. So I knew not to do those three things. I think that infuriated me even more because my head snapped back. Here's this 14-year-old little, little skinny kid. The head snaps back. And I looked at him and said, hey, brother, what are you doing? I think that infuriated him because he's like, I hit this kid. He didn't even know it was coming. His head snapped back and he calmly looked at me. The only reason I looked at him like that is because I was scared if I did it any other way, I was going to get my ass beat worse. Right. Yeah. But I think that infuriated him. So then he did it again. He said, what? He said, I'm not your brother. He punched me in the face again. My head was snapped back. And then he did it a third time. And then I heard these. I heard his boys saying, yo, man, come on, man. You can't knock this little kid out. And I'm just standing there taking. I wouldn't run. I couldn't run at that point. I was dizzy, but I was still sitting. I was still sitting there trying to be tough about it. Right. And so, thank God. I don't know who this is. They're probably dead. But it was a truck that came up at the tra- at the at the light, and the truck stayed there for a second. Didn't go through the light. And one of them said, "I never forget." The, it was his nickname. He said, "Hey, yo, Chink, man, watch out, Chink, watch out." So then the three of them started running. They said, "Tell them the organization, tell them, tell them the black space did it." And I was dizzy. But now here's the here's the true butt to the story. So I go to school. I go to school. I get there, and the uh, and this guy, he was like a he was like a, a like a, a thug at the school, but he liked me because he thought my last name was Bullock. He thought my name was Bullock because the teacher mispronounced it one day, and, and I never forget him saying, "Yo, man, come here, man. Your last name is Bullock." <laughs> and, and of course, I went with it. I said, "Yeah." He said, "Cool shit, man." <laughs> Bullock. So, so he had like 20 of his hardcore friends call me. Yo, that kid right there, his last name is Bullet, Reggie. Bullet, Bullet. <laughs> so I let him call me that. I was like, yeah, that's cool. It's cool. So anyway, this kid came. He walked up to me. He saw my face was red. He said, yo, Bullet, come here, man. I said, what's up? What's, what's going on? He said, yo, man, who beat you like that? And so he said, your mother and father? I said, nah, man, nah. And I was really hurt. My mind was, you know, it was the first time I was jumped. And he grabbed me around my throat, held me against the gate of the school and said, if you don't tell me who did this to you, I'm going to beat your ass. Do you know, this is how twisted the mindset of when you go in inner cities. My mind literally said, oh, this guy really cares for me. And he's got his hands around my throat. Oh, biggest thing telling me, yo, man, if you don't tell me. No, he really did care, but that's how you, that was love. Right, right. right. Like, I'm going to choke you out if you don't tell me who did this to me. So to make a long story short, um, I, I still didn't tell him because I'm still thinking, oh, if I tell them, they're going to find out. I'm going to end up getting my ass beat by somebody. Right. So then he said, all right, but you better tell me tomorrow. And so when you grow up in environments like that and you see that on a constant basis, it starts to make you cold and hard. Right. And then slowly but surely you become that. I never went over the top. I never wanted to rob anybody or anything like that. But I learned how to quickly either make you think I was going to kill you or to really to really get to that point where, no, let's go. I don't care. And that helped a lot of times. But when I look back, I said, do you know how many times somebody could have killed you for yeah. <laughs> saying this shit you said? 
<laughs> you know, even at St. Thomas More, there was a lot of times I mouthed off the, the tits that were twice my size. On, I will fuck you up. Right. Come on, bring it on now. And, and, and it scared them enough to go, oh, shit. This little man, this little man really is going to do it. But I probably wasn't going to do anything, but it creates that thing that it's, a, it's almost like a sickness. And when you're raised in that, it um, it, it's not good. Mm-hmm. I saw, I think I got another quick story for you. I will never forget this. I was in a biology class, Evander Childs High School. Evander Childs in New York Times at that time was ranked the worst high school in New York City, which means we're the worst probably in the world. Oh, gosh. If you're the worst high school in New York City, you're the worst in the world. <laughs> right. So so we, so we, I came to class. We're sitting there. It's over that class, right? We're sitting there. And this girl, I don't know if I should say anything. I'm still scared of her. Can you imagine this? She's probably dead 20, 50 years ago. She probably died. But, but I don't want to say her name now because I'm like, she's going to find me and beat my ass. And oh, no. So she walks into the class. She she came to my class like maybe one other time. And I was afraid of her because she thought I was cute. But I could tell, oh, no, 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 no. If you even moly kiss her and you don't like her, she's going to kill you. So she, she, wasn't, she wasn't a big girl. She was tiny. Right, right, right. She walked in. Bali G teacher, I remember his name. I'm gonna say his name because I know he's probably dead. Mr. Cirillo, <laughs> he's he's the teacher, and he says he's Italian. He says all these black guys. All right, guys, guys, come on, sit down, sit down. We're gonna open up our books today. We're gonna really. And she said, Nah, nah, nah. Hold up, hold up, hold up. We ain't doing this shit today. I got a fucking headache. Shut the fuck up. I got a headache. Wow. Now listen, this is what a kid, a, a thin, tiny girl says to the teacher. Nobody in the class says anything. And the teacher, he says, Ori, right, Missy, or oops, I said a first name. Ori, right, Missy. <laughs> <laughs> he says, Ori, right, Missy. Ori, right, I understand. I understand. I understand. So he's quiet. And this other huge black girl, she's like Queen Latifah. And she she did she wasn't familiar with our class either because a lot of people you know they were in and out suspended or never, and so she says to 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 this girl Missy she says I mean, who the fuck you think you are coming in telling them teachers shut up? So Missy looks at her and I'm like in my mind I'm like oh Missy gonna get her ass beat that's a big girl, <laughs> and Missy says <laughs> to the biggest toughest guys in the back, would you tell this bitch who I am? <laughs> oh, wow. So the three toughest guys. One of the guys was Thomas. Thomas, that guy that, that had his hand around my throat. Bullet. Yeah. He literally, he literally says, "Nah, nah, you're you're going to mess with that." She says, "Listen." And this was the girl. She says, "My brothers are the top leaders in the black spades. I will go drop a dime." And what drop a dime meant back during that time period is you, you literally take a dime, you put it in a phone booth, and you make a, a dime and a phone call. So right. Dropping a dime meant yep. tell one somebody, but it also meant you really make a phone call. She said, I will drop a dime. And I am telling you, I will have the entire Black Spade nation up here in five minutes, and it will turn this whole school out. So you shut the fuck up. And the girl wanted to fight her. The big girl kind of wanted to fight her, but she looked at the at the tough guys in the back, like, is this true? And they were like, Yeah, don't know. Don't do this. <laughs> wow. so everybody got quiet. Even the tough big girl. Everybody got quiet. Right. It was like we were having a quiet study hall. <laughs> this was based on fear. Oh shit. This was based, you know how you in the library, the library comes. Oh, it's yeah. the library to be quiet. It was wow. like she had us all. But that was regular. That was regular. Right. That wasn't something that I went home and told my pay mom. Guess what happened? No. Not because I feared. That was so regular. 
Right. And so when you go up environments, so think of what Mike, Harlem was worse. Yeah. Oh, at that time, imagine what he went through as a child, as a six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old. Yeah. He went through that every day. Shit. To get up to his, he lived on. I think he said he lived on the thirteenth floor. Imagine that getting to the thirteenth floor. You got to get to the elevator. And you hope three, three nuts on in the elevator, and they're gonna rob you, beat you. They're gonna take anything you have, anything of value. But even if you don't have anything of value, they just no, let's just beat them up. Right. Yeah. And so. Yeah, that's why his story of finism is, is fascinating to go from that to traveling the world right. to Japan to fighting all these masters is incredible. I'm sorry to run my mouth like this. No, nah, dude, to, dude, I, I appreciate it. We, I, I can't, I can't wait for the uh, documentary to come out. Yeah, me too. I can't yeah. wait. And, um, I, I told you this should be like something bigger, you know, but yes, I yes. like, he has such an amazing story. Oh yeah. Um, I would love to. I would actually love. To, we would love to interview him too. Oh, that would if you yes. help me out with that. I oh, absolutely. Love that. Absolutely. Love yes. that. He would do that in a heartbeat. And you know, one of the things I want to. I wanted to do this for this show, but I can't do it because I didn't get the information in time. He has a thing hooked up with uh, with Amazon, where every time you purchase something on Amazon, uh, Amazon pays for this. It doesn't come out of whatever you pay for. So whatever you buy on Amazon. A percentage of it goes to his foundation with these poor kids mm. oh. and so and i love that i haven't done it yet but i love it because i'm on amazon all the time i'm buying all kind of right. ridiculous right. shit on amazon you know i'm buying hair growth stuff and shit like that <laughs> <laughs> just all kind of dumb but just shit that don't make no sense <laughs> but, um, you know you 63 years old, you buying hair growth. So let it go. It ain't going back. You ain't pulling the LeBron. Just shave it off. You know? No, just shave the shit off. Right. But, um, but I love what you guys are doing. Lisa Lampanelli, that was huge. Oh, yeah. yeah thank you. Thank you. Guys, you. Do you guys yeah. realize how big that is? Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> she's awesome. No, that's not she's not just a regular person. That's big. No, no, yeah, I know, I know. It's good. No, it's maybe because she's like my age and I'm like <laughs> I like value her. Right. Oh yeah. No, I know yeah. for our age for our age group it, it is definitely. But if you go like to thirty year olds, that's where people really don't know, you know. But they don't yeah. know who she is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they know who she is. But I'm like, she's big. Yeah. And I'm like when I saw that, I said, Oh no, you guys are taking off. I wanted to ask her about the Celebrity Apprentice for sure. You know, I know nobody asks her about that, so I wanted to ask her yeah. about that and Donald oh, Trump and all that shit. Yes, so, yeah, she she's got some stories. She Long was a, She was awesome. Yes, but you've yeah. interviewed some huge people too: Big Daddy Kane, Roy yeah. Firestone. Uh, yeah, like yeah. huge people yourself. You know, and then you yeah, have Kane was. No, go ahead. I was going to say you have. Uh, Reg, Ruthie, Rev, you know, like that yes. show is fucking amazing. Where you're doing all Thank those you. voices, yeah. so you you're you. you're like me, like we have a lot in common, and that's what I'm saying. We're cut from the same cloth, you know. No one like I'm gonna I'm gonna twist it around like a Thanksgiving vibe because people are gonna be listening to this around Thanksgiving anyway. Oh wow! So yeah, you know you you're like family to me. You know what I mean? And like mm -hmm. now, like who would have thought? Like back then when I was 14 and you were a teacher back then. 
uh, how our life would be so similar, like we're both following our dreams and our passions and we yes. don't care what anyone thinks, you know? Like, and that's yeah. what I have in common with Laura too. Yeah. She's the same way. Yeah. Like, we don't care what people think. You gotta nope. follow your heart <laughs> and enjoy it. And that's what it's all about, enjoying what you do, not about like a trophy or anything else. Yes. It's about enjoying, yeah. it's about the process, yeah. enjoying the process. Not the, pro- Look, the the end result, yeah. you know. Let me ask Laura this, because and only reason I want to ask you this is because you and I talk so much on the phone outside of. Go ahead, interview. ask her this. I'm <laughs> going to take a quick when... pee break, but go ahead. Oh, a pee... Did you say a pee break? Yeah, he said a pee break. <laughs> yeah, he does this because he drinks so much Red Bull. <laughs> it runs right through. Him. I thought he's being funny, but he really said a pee break. No, he's. But Laura, what was, the, what was that moment for you that you just said it? It clicked. Because just to give you an right. example, for me, it was I had brain surgery a year and a half ago where they took out a tumor. Right. And I came out, I was fine. You know, my left hand's a little off. Um, yeah. But I came out, I was fine. I you I do use it wow. to, to like scare people off. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Like they say, hey, how come you didn't call me last night? You said you loved me. I said, I can't remember. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just can't. I can't remember. You use it no, to your advantage. All, all jokes aside, right, right. All jokes aside, when was that moment for you? That you said, I just don't care. I want to follow what I want to do. Um, What's that moment for you? Yeah. Well, I've I've had a lot of loss in my family. I lost my mother when I was seventeen. I lost my wow. s- sister in two thousand thirteen to cancer. Wow! And then I lost my dad during the pandemic in March twenty twenty. Um, suddenly, wow. he got coronavirus and was taken. So, it really, I think, uh, it was probably at, at my dad's. You know, my dad's dying suddenly and not knowing, you know, right. you it gives you a perspective on life and appreciate uh, every single day because you don't know, especially in these times with coronavirus and everything going on, you don't know if you're going to get it tomorrow. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to do what I want to do, not care what people think and right, be happy. Right. And I, you know, I was forced to take something tragic that happened and turn it into um, a positive life lesson. You know, I don't, I don't take for granted all the things that happen, good or bad. You have to take the best and leave the rest. My grandfather used to say that. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So that was, you know, it was a series of events that had had slowly made me grow and and become yeah. become the adult that I am and uh, appreciate things and help other people and try to inspire them and encourage them to do. Um, what they love because um, life is short. Yeah, I find that fascinating. I love those sort because because to be honest, that is, I saw this. He's a Buddhist monk that has a YouTube channel. Don't ask me how this works. I don't know because I thought they stay in the woods and. Chill. <laughs> I, don't know. I know. Yeah, like, what? Don't, I only have a few likes. What is going on? You know. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I mean, some, some about it seems kind of, but he's, you know, he got the shaved head, he got the outfit on. I'm right. not making fun of anybody out there that's following this. I'm not. <laughs> but he's, he's he's playing the part. He really, he's playing the part. And so I'm like, let me, and so I subscribed. And I'm, I'm picturing Lou right now when you're describing that. Like he said, <laughs> Tibetan monks that he's following with right, the shaved right, right, head right. and the beard, right? Yes. yes like Lou, yes. yes. Just picture and, him in that. So, <laughs> so this guy but but he does say some he says some wise stuff all this stuff is wise and he said he said you cannot understand joy uh or, or just the basic principles of life unless you have you have to suffer 
You got to have pain. You got to go through death. Oh, yeah. You got to see what death is like. You got to go through heartbreak. You got to go through an addiction. You got. And I was the type of person 20 years ago. I, I couldn't figure out, oh, come on, they died, they're in heaven. If you believe in heaven, get over it. I was the type 20 years ago, oh, come on, somebody can get over drugs. That's no problem. Right. Right. I was the type, that, oh, come on, you're working on your first divorce. What is that? I'm, I worked on three. But I'm like, I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't figure that out. I'm like, come on, man, what kind of loser are you? Why would you be divorced? Why would you, you know, I couldn't understand. You, you're having battles with your kids. What's You must be a shitty father, shitty mother. You're not talking to your kids. You're not talking to your mom. You're not talking to your best friend. Something's wrong with you. And I literally went through that whole process without... And now finally I've gotten to a point where I'm like, no, these are all the lessons. These are all the things that are placed here to teach us about ourselves. Absolutely. Right. That's what they're here for. And I finally figured out. So now when I face goofiness or nuttiness, I don't even call it nuttiness. I say, Reg, this is here. It's not about that person being crazy. That person has been sent here to test you about something. Right. right. That is what that person's been sent here for. You're learning from that per- the craziest person you meet. You that that person sent here to teach you something. Oh yeah. And so now I finally adopted that. And what you just said about losing all the all all of your family members, you know, a, a a religious person. And I had a super religious family member that said to me, "I can't figure this out. Why does this keep happening to me?" He's just talking about basic death. Yeah. And I didn't say anything. I said, nope, it's his lesson to learn. Don't, don't you know, try to teach him. Just let him learn this. Because I wanted to say, no, this is for you to learn. Yes. It's for you to learn in this moment. This is not about, they're okay. I do believe, I'm one of those people who call me weird or whatever. But I do believe there is another side, there's another dimension. And I believe they are partying and having a great time that you can't even imagine. And it's in their lap. They're watching us like a TV show. Look at them. They're crying and shit. I really yeah. hate it. <laughs> they're crying and sad over how much they miss. And they don't know they're going to be here tomorrow. Yeah. In eternity, tomorrow is tomorrow. They're going to be they're going to be old, dead, dying, get hit by a trapped jail. They are going to be here tomorrow. Yes. And when they're here, you know, they're going to see, holy shit, this wasn't what we thought it was going to be. It really, it's a lesson. You're here. You know, my daughter said this to me one time. She said, she was listening we listened to a lot of spiritual stuff mm. not saying we embrace it all but we listened to a lot of it and she said one of the spiritualists said you know living on earth is the that's the final frontier as far as um it's like a um it's like trigonometry this is the hardest place to be and if you think about it as smart as we are we got bombs they're ready to blow up the planet mm-hmm. even by accident we got the way we we pollute the earth if you think about how we treat each other based on color, we treat each other based on color, based on where you're from. You're from the north, you're from the south. I don't like them Yankees. We, we, this is what we do. We don't like other countries. North Korea, South Korea, right. Palestine, Israel. The, the Russians, look out, they're coming. The Chinese, watch out. The Hong Kong, don't. People of Hong Kong don't like Chinese. The blacks and whites don't like each other here. Right. Why? Oh, what about the Spanish? What about the Puerto Ricans? Puerto Ricans don't like the Mexicans. Mexicans don't like the Puerto Ricans. <laughs> it doesn't stop the poor. They don't stop the border. We got to create borders. Got to stop them coming over. Why? Because this is our shit. But what about the Native Americans? Oh, fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it keeps going and going and going. And it doesn't stop. And it's filled with, I'm like, is that hate? Are we just stupid? And I'll leave you with this final thing. My mother said to me, she lives on a 
like a deserted road, beautiful, beautiful acres, all this. She said, well, why don't you just walk on our road? You can walk as much as you want. I said, Ma, you guys don't have a sidewalk. I said, when one of those cars is doing like 45 miles an hour, when it's coming down the road, I said, I got to jump over into the woods. She said, well, what's wrong with that? I said, why you got animals? You got all kinds of strange. She said, you know what? And this is my mother. And she still got her mind there. But every now and then she says weird stuff. And she said at the age of 88, she said to me, she said, well, I'm not scared of animals. I'm, so, I'm more scared of people. Oh, yeah. And I said, why, Ma? She said, ain't no animals ever jumped me. Ain't no animals ever took my pocketbook. No animals ever broke up to my house and stole my shit. Mm. She said, think about it. No animals ever set up nuclear weapons. Yeah. True. No animals ever did this. And then I started thinking, I said, holy shit, what a nugget. So she said, so you're going to walk? I said, hell no, I'm still not walking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not running from a bear or a raccoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd rather run from the guy that's like, yo, you know what this ring means? I'd rather run from the But that's what it is. And and that's why I can't wait. Um, hopefully you guys can talk about this when we get off the phone. But um, I would love to do both of your stories because my whole thing is reaching as many people as possible. Because as much as I care about the Malcolm X's and Martin Luther King, they're like – in a different stratosphere when it comes to helping young kids. They go, yeah, but he's way out there in 1965. The other one's killed in 68. They're way out there to me. Right. Right. See, your story of of sharing about how your father passed in COVID and how that clicked off, and your story, Dave, those mm. stories are relevant and they're brand new. Right. right. And if told the right way, it gets any kid to say, because we all got to face death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do I? How, how does Laura Merrill get by it? Right. How does she do this? Shit? How mm. does she do it? I'm living in the hood, and I don't have anything in common with her. But I got one thing in common: we have to face this. How did she do it? Because trust me, if you lost your father that way, as far as minorities, oh, they're falling off left and right. We're falling off left and right as far as COVID. Right. And so people want to know how did you deal with that? You know, the things you had to overcome, Dave. People want to know how did you overcome that? Right. How did right. you do that? How did you look at your mother and father? And if how did you look at your children, your exes? How did you do that? Right. Because we, you know, my favorite. Please, you're gonna stop me at a certain point. Everybody, stop. We, we run over the limit because I'm going <laughs> for five hours with this, and then Ruth and Red will come on. They'll they'll do an hour stick. <laughs> but there's but there's a um, there's a gospel singer. One of my favorite songs. I don't listen to it often because it gets me depressed but it's so true uh donnie mcclurkin sings this song we fall down but we get up mm. and that is what truly greatness five is all about yeah right and we fall down but and how does he do it we fall down i don't mean to make fun any possible fans listening to this on wednesday please don't hate me don't write me <laughs> but, he, but the way he does it we fall down but we get up <laughs> he says it's over because the times are you know you sound like Al Jarreau doing him. He is, but you guys are laughing. You guys, I'm not laughing. Just anybody out there, any, any super Christians out there, I'm not laughing. They're laughing. <laughs> Write all the hate mail to Laura Merrill and Baby Love. Write the hate mail. I'm not making. I was really trying to sing a song, you know, But anyway, but anyway, it's 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 true. Yeah, That's all we are. It's definitely. Yeah. It's are. definitely all we are. It's definitely oh, yeah. all we are. we are. Even I mean, think about it. think there's not one person. Look at Kobe Bryant. Yeah. 
Yeah. My God, his life is 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 the perfect example of crazy shit. Yeah. I mean, his teammates hated him for most of his career. Right. His teammates hated him because he was arrogant. He didn't want to talk to anybody. But then if you examine him, you say, why didn't he want to talk to anybody? Well, he was a black kid that lived primarily most of his life as a child in Italy. So now he comes over. He's got the Italian accent, what we think is the accent. And he's and he's speaking. Uh, he can't really speak English that well. So now he's afraid to talk to black and white kids here because they're going to make fun of him. Right. So then when he learns how to speak English, he doesn't want to talk to all these people that were making fun of him for years. Right. And he carries that he carries that to the pro level, to the point where he's arrogant, he's this and he's that. And then he continues this throughout his whole career. Nobody likes him. But then he starts liking him toward the end of his career. Right. And then oh wow. And then finally when he retires, he's got pictures with him and his daughter sitting courtside. He looks human and now we love him. Then he dies in a plane crash. Yeah. And now we adore him. But look at the ups and downs that took place. We hate you. And then the rape case. We hate you. We adore you. We hate you. We adore you. Oh, rape. We hate you. We adore you. Yeah. Right. And you look at all of that stuff and you're like, okay, what was the lesson? The lesson is we fall down and we get up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. That's what it is. Yeah. That's it. Sure is. Well, Reggie, I love you, man. I want to thank you as too, always for uh, doing yes. the interview and, you know, thank we you. can go on forever and ever. I know this, you know, oh, yeah. so my big mouth can go on. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, <clears throat> just like I would look like whenever you're in the area, I'd love to have you in studio absolutely. here, man. Oh, absolutely. We got to hang for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and Laura, Laura, love you too. Love soon you. Soon you say Curtis, soon you say Curtis that, that brought us. Yeah, that's my second war. dad. <laughs> yes, we are all connected. I can't wait to call. I'm going to call Jimmy Fields as soon as I get off the phone. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> no, that's Jimmy Fields like their best friend. They are literally best friends. So I'm calling his best friend as soon as we get off the phone. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> thank you so world. much. Thank and you once so again, much, I think Reggie. we're. I'll say this last thing. We're all brought together for a reason for this one moment in time. All three of us. This is our moment right now. Oh, yeah. Whether we ever speak again, this is our moment, the three of us. And I, I thank you guys for that. I, really I thank feel. you too, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll talk later. Definitely. Bye, Reggie. I love you all both. I mean that. I love you all both. Love Bye. you too, love brother. You. Okay, take care. All right. All right, bye-bye. Bye. That was an awesome show. Reggie Bullock is yes, the man. Yes, he is. Yes. Everyone have a happy Thanksgiving. Yep. Whoa. There we go. Party. Now it's even louder. <laughs> it's all right. It's a modern problem show, and that's yes, how we do that's it. A modern you never know what right to there. expect. Yes. That's the way we roll. <laughs> we got Derek in the house, guesting with yeah, us. He's Derek. sitting in. He's going to work with us for sure. You want to say what's up to the people? What's going on? Um Yay. And a big shout out to the White Buffalo in New Haven. You need your vaping goods. They make everything homemade there. None of that BS chemical bullshit. Right. It's right there. Connecticut homegrown. Support local. Yes, support local. And just support. Go online. What's the website? Uh, Thesteamco.com. Thesteamco.com. Nice. I do the lock, shock, and barrel. It's like pumpkins, you know? Yeah. Also, tonight's show was sponsored by White Runts. Oh, yeah. And Blackjack. Those were the strains we used. Oh, oh. So everyone have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back in two weeks. Laura's going to go to Mexico and research some stuff for us on vacation. Who knows? Research. Deep dive. Deep dive. All right. So follow us at Mod Prob Show. 
modprobshow.com. All right. 